Hi, welcome to Notes from a Drama Watcher, a podcast about East Asian dramas. It's part recap, part review, and there will definitely be spoilers ahead. Let's go! This is your host, M, and this is episode 19 of Notes from a Drama Watcher. In this episode, we will be talking about Imperial Coroner, episodes 31 through 36, 36 being the final episode, The Flaming Heart, episode 16, 6 through 10, excuse me, Tale of Noktu, episodes 3 through 5, and Be Loved in House I Do, episodes 11 and 12. So we're going to start off with Imperial Coroner. In Imperial Coroner, um, we get yet another sequence of opening credits. I think that's number three. <laughs> this one has shots of the various players involved in the storyline. And also, if you watch detective shows, you might have seen the kind of map that's in the opening sequence. But basically, it's where you have different pieces of evidence and they're connected by yarn or string to, to try to see what is the correlation or connection between the different events. So that's how the opening sequence is. We have a bunch of, I believe, CGI'd pieces of red yarn connecting one thing to another. There are close, also close-up shots of the counterfeit money, which is central to the mystery they're trying to solve. It's an interesting choice to change the opening sequence or to not have an opening sequence at all, as in the first uh, seven or so episodes of the show. I personally can't recall seeing a show that did this. You know, maybe someone else knows of something. I've seen where maybe there's a change. Like if you go into a new season, they might change the opening when you go into the new season. But I've never seen so many different openings just being in one season. So in episode 31, the reason for the counterfeit money has come to light. Supplies were being ordered for the army and soldiers were being paid with counterfeit money. While the schemers kept the real money. Leng Wei finally in this episode admits to her grandfather that she does have feelings for Jin Yi. And of course, <laughs> grandpa gives Jin Yi the, you know, hurt my granddaughter and I'll hurt your whole family talk. <laughs> so and Jin Yi, who he just can't believe his ears that he is essentially being given the go ahead to court Leng Wei. It's cute because he's just like, he cannot believe what's happening to him. This episode or these set of episodes are pretty emotional episodes for the prince. Because the truth of Duke Chang's identity has come to light. It's emotional for everyone, but particularly for the prince, because he was so close to the person who turns out to be Duke Chang. It's kind of a, a blow to his professional pride as well, because he has prided himself on his deductive reasoning. But to discover that he's been deceived this whole time, it's obviously very distressing to him. And it makes him question not necessarily cases that he solved but he's got unsolved cases and so it, it makes him question whether it's a failing of his that these um cases have gone unsolved like he doesn't even trust he feels like he can't trust himself anymore and chin Wen, who is the head of the eunuchs who's been scheming the entire show and shows loyalty to no one except himself really and that holds true in these final episodes i have to say the actor playing Chin Luan, the head eunuch, did such a great job as the villain of the show. He was very convincing as this under this kind of underhanded person who was trying to make power grabs left or right without seeming to. With he was trying to be or pretending to be humble and deferential, but he's really doing all this scheming. Although you see from pretty early on that the emperor is, is sort of onto him or maybe it's just as emperor you know that you always have to kind of keep an eye on 
the different factions of the government, but he he's kind of wise to not exactly what Chin Wan is doing, but but just that he's probably up to something. But the actor did a really good job playing this role, I think. So overall for the show, as usual with me, I wind up liking the second couple more than the first couple, but honestly not by much in this particular show. I thought both couples were well suited and I've said in various podcasts already, I love how intelligent they all are and how they all have things that they contribute to the detective team and they all listen to each other and bounce ideas off of each other. I think it's it's great. Um, there's no there's no character here that is like a weak point. And I mean that all over. The emperor, like I said, is wise enough to know he's got to watch Chen Wan. Chen Luan is over there gaming on the side. Duke Chang is doing his own kind of scheming. Um, Prince Jin Yu's mother has gone through a lot in recent years, has, not in recent years, for many years, has kept some secrets, is not a wilting flower. You know, she's someone who who has to navigate the court and protect her family at the same time. So I can't think of any character on this show that I don't like or that I, I don't think was integral to the story in some way. Again, I like the second couple just slightly, slightly more, but I did like both couples. I do have a soft spot for Jin Yu because he he is such I'm sorry, Jin Yi, because he is such a loyal person. He has what I think is a lifelong love for Ling Wei. And he's just kind of waiting patiently for her, for her to come to her own realizations about her own feelings. And it's a slow process, but he doesn't rush her. And he doesn't rush her at the same time though he's not really hiding that he likes her but he's not being overbearing about it and so she doesn't necessarily feel rushed or that she has to reciprocate his feelings it just happens naturally over time over the course of their relationship our main couple is also well suited i really love how accepting choo choo is of the prince she kind of looks at him with rose-colored glasses in a way but even when she discovers things about him that some might perceive as some kind of weakness um you know we find out at one point that he's claustrophobic but it doesn't change her high opinion of him this is just part of who he is and she accepts it not that it's necessarily any kind of weakness you know but as a prince i find in dramas sometimes they give this person no obstacles whatsoever they're great at martial arts they're great at everything that's not the case with prince jinyu he's very human Chu Chu accepts that about him i also like on his end how he shows real trust in her from the beginning not as a potential love interest but trust in her and her in her profession and her expertise and then as as she becomes a love interest trusting that when she finds out these things about him that she will keep them to herself she will keep them a secret she will protect him in her own way again i just think they're well suited to each other the same way jingyi i think is well suited with Ling Wei, because she Ling Wei tends to tends to be very serious and he tends to be a little more happy-go-lucky and so they complement each other in that way so overall a good show from start to finish as i mentioned in the pre- previous podcast i probably wouldn't watch this again necessarily but it was it was good for what it was i liked the way that they that they described the cases and showed what they were doing they would show diagrams whenever choo choo was talking about what she thought had happened to to one of the victims and just an overall interesting mystery or detective story all around i love the relationships as well uh, not just between the romantic couples but the relationship that prince jinyu has with his mom 
even when he finds out the birth secret, it doesn't change any anything between them, really. And the wonderful relationship that Princeton Yu has with his brother, the general, Lang Wei, being able to work on her relationship with her grandfather, mainly our, our core, our Scooby gang, as I call them, <laughs> um, their relationship with, with each other. Lang Wei, Jin Yi, Jin Yu, Chu Chu, and... Uh, Jinyu's brother, the general, they make an effective detective team and they all respect each other. And it was great to see. I think it's a really good show. In that sense, if you want to watch a show that's going to make you think, this is a good one. Not big on the romance, you know, it's, it's all about the detective story. And that's good if that's what you want to see. And it's, it is a period drama. It's historical. So that was also interesting to see how they worked on their cases with the technology or lack of technology that they had at the time that's it for imperial coroner next up we're going to talk about the flaming heart episodes 6 through 10. flaming heart is the show with gong jun in it from word of honor but in this he plays the firefighter he's playing ho yan who is an assistant chief i believe it is he is our for our main couple or the main male lead our female lead is Yan Lan, who is a doctor. They frequently work together because they they work on rescuing people in various ways. So episode six sees Ho Yan injured in the line of duty. I kind of talked about this in my last podcast because I had actually gone past episode five and, and didn't click that. This was actually from episode six. So we'll just talk a little bit more about it here. He got injured in the line of duty and he decides he's going to break up with Yan Lan because he is scared that she will be hurt if something happens to him. Because from his point of view, his mom got hurt when his own father passed away and his mom went through a lot, you know, having to raise him now as the single mother and everything on her own. And so he he doesn't want to, as he says, be a burden or put that burden onto other people who love him. So we've still got weird editing here in this episode. It's almost as if whole scenes are missing. Um, for example, when he's hurt, we don't get a scene of Yan Lan and seeing whatever her reaction might be to his injury. We just see later on when he's after he's made the decision and he's telling her, you know, that he's decided to break up. But we don't see what happens when she hears that he is hurt. And that would have been interesting to see. So we only see the aftermath of it. Um, this discussion that he has with her where he's talk, he's giving her reasons why why they should not be together. She does point out to him that he's making decisions on his own without asking her opinion because she's perfectly willing to be with him and to be of help to him to be a, a support to him but he doesn't really see it that way and so he decides to break up anyway and one of our other couples is Dayin and Jiang Tang and they have been at complete odds with each other since the show began but here we get alert we get to learn a little more about Dayin and Jiang Tang comes to understand him a little more too and see that he is actually dealing with a lot to her mind he seems like he's slacking a little bit but it's actually he's dealing with, with a lot of things. What she learns in this episode comes to inform the way that she treats him later. And she also becomes a real support to Diane when he goes through a really tough time. Episode 7 is heart-wrenching on a few levels. Yan Lan is feeling hurt and Ho Yan is still feeling conflicted about ending things with her. This and the next few episodes, they deal with various rescues after an earthquake hits in another province, I believe. And he, you know, he's on his way to, to go help in that rescue. And Ho Yan's mother, as he's sort of packing, 
talks to him, tells him some things that he needs to hear about relationships and what it means to be in a relationship in a firefight with a firefighter and how that's a choice that she made very willingly to be in the relationship, to be married to his father. So she does get through to him in some way and he tries to make over overtures to Yang Lang later, but she's really kind of avoiding him because she's, she's still hurt. You know, it's a self-protective thing, right? She's, he's going to have an injury again, probably. It's probably a little scary to her that this was his reaction this time. You know, what's to stop him from reacting this way again? So she's kind of in, in self-protective mode. So he's going to need to be patient until she's ready. They wind up being in close quarters uh, because they're being sent to get some supplies that they need. So these close quarters being, you know, the truck that they're traveling in, it's just the two of them. And it kind of forces them to have to deal with each other or really her to have to deal with him because he's, he wants her <laughs> to talk to him and to, to deal with him. And they go to get supplies. They wind up having to stay overnight in the cab of the truck because something happens to the truck, you know, just some little mechanical things that he has to work on and it takes a while. And then they realize that actually the people they're getting the supplies from are going to have to pass them on the road anyway at some point. So they just decide to sleep over in the truck, in the cab of the truck. They talk to each other. That's the main thing. They, they communicate and open up to each other a bit, fall asleep, facing away from each other. And then in the morning when they wake up, she's, she's in his arms. The morning scene is a little strange, I have to say. The editing, the filming of the scene, it's very hazy. And I know this is taking place in the mountains and it's probably literally filmed in the morning. So you've got that fog, but, and I guess that's what they were trying to show, but it just looked strange. I actually thought at first that I was having internet issues and <laughs> that the scene wasn't clear or whatever it might be. But then I started looking at some other things and those were clear because I was just wanting to make sure. So, you know, interesting directorial choice. <laughs> and it was obviously a deliberate choice because they obviously could have just filmed at some other time and just pretended it was the morning. So obviously this is what they were going for. If it had been a horror scene, I probably wouldn't have noticed it much. But because it was a scene where they were making up and, you know, I wanted to really see their faces, see their expressions. I didn't like that it was that foggy <laughs> like that. The other thing I noticed, and this is just something in general for this show, is even though these firefighters and the medical personnel are side by side in many of the circumstances, the medical personnel are not wearing any safety equipment <laughs> or even hard hats. And I don't know much about rescue operations. So, but this doesn't seem like it could be standard. It doesn't seem like this is safe. So I'm not sure how true to life it is. I understand them not having ropes and, you know, whatever other equipment, but at the very least hard hat, if you're going into a building that is unstable because of an earthquake, seems like it would be the safe choice. I will definitely continue to watch this. It's, it's a cute show. I like all the couples. There's about, there's three couples right now. And then one, we won't call them a couple, but one friendship developing um between a, another doctor and a firefighter so decent show so far i think all the couples have really good chemistry the doctor character is she's cute she's the cute quirky female lead kind of thing so i think it works i think they work really well together he's in some ways kind of serious he can goof a little bit with her but he's in some ways kind of serious just because of the way he grew up, you know, with his father having passed away. It's it's a contrast to each other. The other the other couples also complement each other in their ways. So next up, Tale of Noktu, episodes three through five. Our main character, Noktu, is suffering. <laughs> 
And I say that, you know, being funny because basically he's suffering living in next to the village of widows. He's living, remember, they didn't have room for him in the village of widows. So he's living in the courtesan's house with Dongju, who is our main female lead. And they're having a little trouble getting along with each other. Of course, she has no idea that he is actually male and he's sharing this room with her. He's having to learn how to navigate life as female. A female in ancient Korea, ancient ancient times. He still has the state official kind of keeping an eye on him because he likes them. At the same time, he's still trying to find out about the women or the group of women who assassinated or tried to assassinate his father and hurt his brother. And these group of women live in the village of widows. So he's trying to kind of sneak around, trying to find out more about them without getting caught. Because if, if they find out he's a male, forget about if they find out he's trying to find the assassins. Just if they even find out he's a male, he will be kicked out of the village. And then he will, it'll be even harder or maybe he'll never even get to find out what is going on with these these assassins and why did they target his family. We also get to see in these episodes a little more of Noksu's father and how he's basically been in hiding and how it happened and a little bit about who he is. So, you know, some of the birth secret behind Noksu. And Dongju, who's our, our female lead, we see a little more of a kind of hideout that she has, which is where she was putting together her plan to kill the emperor, which we saw in episode one. And it looks like she really hasn't abandoned her plans. She just has to try to reconfigure the plan. Because remember, that's how she and Noktu even met. They bumped into each other right when she was going to fire an arrow at the emperor. So she's got to think up some new plans. This episode or episode four also has some kind of funny moments because Noktu has no idea about how to be in female friendships and he really puts his foot in his mouth <laughs> and gets himself into some trouble. So Dongju now has to start teaching him how to put himself into a circle of women and to becoming friends with other women. She still doesn't know that he's a man. She just thinks that he is from a wealthy background and so just doesn't know how to interact with people who are not his servants. So episodes four into five, there's a lot of intrigue going on and a lot of secret meetings between secret organizations in the courtesan's house and in the widow's village. And there's just a lot going on. Even though the episodes are only half an hour long, there's they're very densely packed so far, episodes one through five. So it goes by really quickly and it seems, it goes quickly on one hand and on the other hand, it seems like an even longer episode just because there's so much story going on in there. And uh, also in this last episode um, that, I'm, that I'm reviewing here, she does, Dongju does find out that he is a male and it's the interactions between them are so funny because she still doesn't know why he's there. He tells her some cockamamie story, whatever. So then she just doesn't trust him. And it's like, you have to stay by me no matter what, which of course doesn't go with his plans because he's still trying to investigate things. And she does not want to let him out of her sight because she doesn't trust him at all. The actor playing Noktu is really immersed in this role. I mean, now it's going to change now that she knows that he's a male. But before these, in these few episodes, ever since he started living in the with the courtesans next to the widow's village and is pretending to be a female you just get used to his voice and every time his voice has a female and every time that he's by himself he's kind of thinking out loud and reverts back to his male voice which is relatively deep and it's it takes you aback it's like jarring for a second because you're just used to him in this speaking in this higher tone 
you just really get immersed in him uh, in this role. So as I said, a lot of intrigue going on. One of the things is there is a young prince who one of these secret groups that meets appears to be trying to protect him because the emperor appears to be not a good man and is getting rid of the people around the young prince and maybe is planning to get rid of the young prince. And I'm assuming I may be wrong. I'm assuming that Noktu is going to turn out to be a prince as well. And maybe that's why the assassins went after his family and why People are kind of chasing after him, but we shall see what happens. Really enjoying the series so far. And then last, but definitely not least, is Beloved in House I Do, episodes 11 and 12. That is the ending theme song, a little clip of the ending theme song, which basically has been stuck in my head ever since I started watching the show. The opening song, which I believe is called Kama, I think it's the opening song, is also a nice song, but this ending theme is the one that really sticks with you. It's the one that has the hook. And I think it's, I don't know if it's her voice or just like the overall song and also looking at the lyrics. It's just a kind of cutesy song that I think fits really well for the tone of the series as a whole. Although in these last couple of episodes, it's a little more angsty because Zitong, who is the ex-boyfriend being around, is forcing Yuzhen to to come to terms with the hurt that he felt, how it's affected his decision making, and how it's basically messing things up for him now. Because Shilei clearly likes him. And Eugène has put up that single rule. It's, it's putting a big barrier between him and Shilei. And it's a barrier that he created himself, right? And Shilei is not going to really cross the barrier. He can't. Eugène is the one that has to dismantle the barrier and has to be the one to make the move. And he's not doing so. And so they're kind of stuck in this holding pattern. And now we've got Zitong there, the ex-boyfriend, who's kind of making waves, kind of provoking in a way a little bit of jealousy in Yuzhen because he appears to be getting closer to Shile and Yuzhen doesn't. Of course, he doesn't like that. He doesn't like it on a few levels. Number one, he likes Shile, so he doesn't want Zitong getting close to him. But number two, in episode 12, he starts thinking that maybe Shile is developing feelings for Zitong and he doesn't want that for Shile. He doesn't want that anyway because he wants Shile himself, but also he was hurt by Zitong and he's afraid that Zitong might hurt Shile. So he doesn't want that for Shile because he remembers his own hurt. I thought this these two episodes were really good. I liked the ending. I had seen a little clip of what went on in the ending actually before I saw the episode, but even then they did such a good job of having the tension in episode 12 where I still feel like felt like, oh, I didn't know what was going to happen next, even though I really did know, if that makes sense. <laughs> um, that just created the right atmosphere. Of course, these actors are great together. They've got great chemistry. I don't think I'm spoiling anything by saying, you know, happy ending. It's pretty clear from the beginning <laughs> that there's going to be a happy ending. That's kind of why you're watching the show. You know, it's going to end happily. But Eugene does have to go through a roller coaster of emotion before he gets to his happy ending. Shile has to not wait around for it because he's going through his own thing, right? As I mentioned in previous podcasts, this is all this is all new to him, basically. So he's going through his thing and Eugene is going through his thing. And you're just hoping that they can get together after they've figured things out. Um, I know some people found this show to be slow. I've talked about this before. 
I personally was fine with the pace of the show. I thought it was pretty realistic for these two characters, one of whom is very, who's emotionally damaged and the other one is just dealing with something completely new to them. I thought it was fine that that they took it slow. Um, I did notice, I don't know if this was throughout the show and I just didn't notice or if they just started doing this in episodes 11 and 12, but when you're watching on Vicky up on top, there's a rated R right in the corner. And I don't remember seeing it in the other episodes. And I can see why after seeing episode 12, why they felt the need to put the rated R there. That's all I will say. Uh, <laughs> it will make some people happy who were complaining that, you know, they hadn't even gotten a kiss from these two in 11 episodes or in 10 episodes. Uh, we did get all that from the second couple though. I really hope that there's a season two. I really hope so. It looks like Speaking of which, this was supposed to be a 12 episode show. I'm seeing an episode 13 listed in Vicky. I don't know if it's some kind of behind the scenes special. It doesn't seem like it. They showed a little thing at the end of uh, episode 12, which looks like a, a preview of another episode. So I, I'm not sure exactly what's going to happen in episode 13. And I'm curious why there is an episode 13. If originally it was listed as 12 episodes, uh, did they just have more story to tell? Did Were the ratings that good? I did notice on Vicky, I, I don't see this on the TV for some reason, but I was using my laptop and it is listed as one of the top 10 shows in Vicky. I'm not sure how they do this rating or what they go by, whatever, but it was one of the top 10. So that's a good sign. I'm really, I'm keeping my fingers crossed we get a season two because I really liked the chemistry between these two. And I'm glad Iron Lay, this turned out to be a good project because I remember when this show first started, I don't think I even said this in the podcast, but when the show first started, I was like, he looks familiar to me. And it took me a bit, I, I must've read it somewhere or whatever to see that he was in history one. And I actually saw history one when it came out. As soon as I saw he was in there, I was like, oh yeah, okay. That was not a good story that he was in, in that. And so I, that's probably why I kind of blocked it from my memory. But this is definitely a way better story for him. A better actor, acting partner. It's not the acting, but just more chemistry between him and Hank than what the chemistry he had with the other character in History 1. And also just that, that storyline in History 1 was like, it was, I mean, you loved your, well, anyway, if you haven't seen History 1, he loved his girlfriend, she passed away, and she goes into the body of a guy, and somehow they fall in love or something, which, that's not what's weird about that show. It said it's like a week after or something, or a month, but I think it might have been a week after the girlfriend passed, he's already in love with this new person. It was a little bit of a stretch of a storyline. This Beloved in House I Do was way more of a realistic storyline and I especially love that everyone here was an adult a working adult in a profession dealing with professional things dealing with personal things etc you know I've said it before and this is a, a thing that a lot of people are saying now most BL nowadays really is coming out of Thailand for the most part and it's just storylines that are full of university students. In and of itself, that's okay, but every storyline should not be university students. And also, there are other majors in university besides engineering. So I like that Beloved in House was different. It was, you know, working professionals, adults. And adults, not 21-year-olds, you know, Suchi, is, he's on the younger end, but everyone else is like late 20s. A gang might even be 30, I'm not sure. So that was a, a good change from the BL that's been coming out 
recently. I'm also happy that we were basically able to finish the series because I had mentioned in another podcast I was thinking of watching Love is Science, but Love and Science, Love is Science, episode 11 is still not out. And it's because, unfortunately, because of COVID, for safety, they're not able to to do the next episode. And of course, the most important thing is everyone's safety. So I understand that. But it seems like Beloved in House must have been filmed, you know, all in one shot and then put out. So actually, I'm curious about this episode 13. When was that even filmed? Unless maybe they did film slowly and they just maybe are keeping into a COVID bubble. I'm not sure. I'm not sure of the inner workings of the company that's that made Beloved, Beloved in House. I do. But I was glad to see it. Um, Again, I don't mind the pacing. So right now, this is probably one of my favorites of 2021. We're we're midway through 2021. So we've still got more shows to see. But I would say it's one of my favorites so far. I think it was pretty well done. I don't have a problem with the pacing. Some people might find it slow, so they may, may not consider it a favorite. But for me, I liked it. I really looked forward to seeing it every week, every Thursday. I was looking forward to it. Kind of like A Tale of a Thousand Stars. That was another one that, you know, weekly I was waiting for the episode. So this year, I would have to say, I I know my top three for this year. I don't know. Well, no, I do know it would be number one. Word of Honor is definitely number one for me. But then A Tale of a Thousand Stars and then Beloved in-house, I do. Those are my top three so far for the year if I had to do any kind of ranking. So kudos to them. Good acting, good chemistry, a really good OST. I've actually listened to the whole OST and every song is good. It's just that for me personally, that ending theme is one that really sticks with me. So good job all around, I I think personally. So I'm, I'm looking forward to more from them and would definitely want to see more from Aaron who played Eugene and Hank, who played Sheila. The only one thing I wish we could have actually seen in this episode, maybe we'll see in episode 13, I would love to see Sheila's mom because she called it from the beginning. She was shipping them from the beginning. So I would love to see her reaction to knowing that they finally got together. So that's it for episode 19 of Notes from a Drama Watcher. If you want to reach out to me, you can find me on Twitter at DramaWatcher6 or send me an email at DramaWatcherNotes at gmail.com. Thanks again and stay safe, everyone.